Welcome everybody to Connecting the Universe. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker back with another interactive class this Wednesday night live 8 o'clock p.m. Appreciate those listening to the podcast later uh, in its syndicated form. Uh, but please feel free to join us out here live Wednesday nights, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. And uh I see Nicole's having an issue tagging people, but we do have a few people in the in the chat. Nicole, if it if it helps, I'd seen you right now as Facebook user, so you might have to reset the setting. So there we go. Already strange technical issues as we're starting. I had some when I first cranked this up to begin with. So in any case, this evening we're talking about the future of humanity. And I will say it is partly inspired by Michio Kaku's book, The Future of Humanity. Uh, love the title. We're gonna, there is a few things from here that we'll dive into. It was my reading over the holidays. To be honest, it was more of like my listening. And then I have this really funny habit of where I'll grab a book on audio. And as I'm listening while you know, going on walks or driving the car or what have you, I'm like, that's a great point. And, oh, I'm going to need to reference that later. And then I end up buying the, the uh, this is the paperback edition, but having a hard copy on hand so that I can reference it later for whether it's material like this or maybe uh, maybe I'm going to quote it for a book or, or what have you. That happens. So before we dive into everything, a uh, couple of things real quick. A good friend of ours, uh, Clifford Mahuti. Uh, just found out yesterday that he had passed away. Uh, people within the uh, within the UFO community have known him for a long, long time. I just met him this past June. Uh, he's a Zuni. He was a Zuni elder, and uh, really, really insightful, wonderful guy. I had several conversations with him uh, the week that I was out in Nevada for that conference that I spoke at, uh, and we had lunch together. Uh, the one day and he was telling me all about the raw people which uh, would would be their versions of the of shadow people and so it was a fascinating conversation i tried to connect with him this past uh, october when i was out west again wasn't able to connect with him unfortunately and uh and, and now he's gone uh so uh you know to clifford's family um you know, our condolences out to him and then um and then uh, just a week ago, my my aunt uh, Connie passed away. So it's been a hard week so far, and, and January just started. So and so there you have that. So all right. So now every week before class, what I do is I post a class question, and I put that out publicly so anybody within the public sphere can, of course, uh, respond to that. And uh, but. You know, of course, the live version is part of the, the membership for the presentation. So this week's uh, class question was, if you could explore anywhere in the universe, what would you want to see? And so it's kind of interesting. A couple of responses I got. Uh, Sean Coletta from Old World Paranormal, new member here of Connected Universe Portal. So welcome, Sean. Appreciate it. He says, I think it would be awe-inspiring to be able to see a black hole up close. It would be for sure. Uh, Tom McNicholas also chimed in with something very similar, saying, I would love to see through a black hole and experience the backside of it. So this is an image here. Of course, those listening to the podcast are not going to be able to see the, the images or presentation, but uh, those part of the uh, part of the class are. This is an image from the movie Interstellar with uh, their, their take on what a black hole would be. This is gargantua is what they called it. And I, I think it's a pretty good take. You know, you have the, you know, the, the middle of it is all black. It's the black hole where it's, you know, the gravity is so strong. It is, uh, it's basically sucking in all the light. And of course, light is bending around it. Uh, so it's very, very interesting. It's, it's almost kind of like that, uh, like the idea of the black hole sun. In, in this case, it's the, uh, uh, you know, straight up black hole. So very, very cool. I want to answer that one. Uh, usually I just, you know, uh, read your guys' answers. But for me, if I could explore anywhere in the universe, 
I would want to be checking out the different inhabited extraterrestrial planets and seeing how life is operating uh, on those different planets. See the flora and fauna, see the uh, the ETs themselves, and you know what their civilizations are like, and, and and all of that. I think it would be absolutely fascinating to see how civilization has risen in other parts of the universe and see what other types of life is out there. Uh, you know, whether it's a, it's an animal or plant life, uh, I think it'd be absolutely fascinating uh, to check those out. So, uh, so that is our class question for the, uh, for the evening. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our discussion, which is the future of humanity. And those that have been, uh, partaking in the connected universe for a while are very familiar with uh with me talking about this particular issue that will happen in several billion years and that is the red giant sun that our sun will become now this is not going to happen for another three to four billion years which does seem like a long time uh, but it's inevitable that our sun will become a red giant and encompass the planet, uh, and Earth will be no more. So at some point in time, and we're starting to do it, we have to come up with solutions to get off the planet. And take a step back a little bit here, because this is the main issue. It is, it's happened before. So going back to the birth of our solar system uh many uh many scientists these days believe that our solar system was birthed out of a previous solar system so our our planet our earth is made up of planets uh asteroids moons from a solar system that had previously been beforehand and to keep in mind our universe is 14 billion years old our planet is four and a half billion years old so there's nine and a half billion years there in which other things have happened so at some point in time our solar system had been in another solar system that had like this uh, particular photo here had gathered up all of that dust and created planets had been born, perhaps there was life, we don't know, went through all of its phases with its with its star. Some believe that it may have been a dual uh, solar system where it had two suns, it had two stars, uh, a binary system. Uh, no way to really prove it, but uh, some people do believe that based on you know, some, some different uh, data that they've collected. But in any case, that solar system expired and then this new one formed up. Uh, and that's really fascinating to think about because perhaps our seeds of life for this planet came from that previous solar system. Perhaps after it expired and then the new solar system started to form and develop that, that DNA and those seeds of life were already out there floating around the atmosphere well, floating around the uh, space really and collected back here on earth you know that whatever was in the primordial ooze and dropped in there and boom and we uh you know we talk about panspermia and the idea that even now things are coming in out of uh the solar system maybe even en route from another galaxy and are dropping into our planet, like our oceans, and forming new life. There's many that believe like octopi uh, are actually alien creatures from another planet because they're so vastly different from other things that we have here on Earth. And of course, that leads into humans. We are very vastly different than other things on this planet. So did we come here from another solar system, another galaxy somewhere? Um, there are, and we'll get into some of this as we go along, there are a lot of indicators that, yes, we came here from somewhere else. This is not our, this is not our first planet here as human beings. And we could have even, 
uh, as we kind of step through things here, there are ideas that, you know, we had once been on Mars and when Mars started to deteriorate, we hopped over here to Earth or even that planet in between Mars and Jupiter that is now the asteroid belt that perhaps we were there and came here or, you know, had a couple of hops, you know, from there to Mars to here. You know, we could be, uh, you know, it's, th this could be just an ongoing thing over the last 14 billion years that we've been planet hopping to survive the race or, or for the race to survive. And so that's kind of what we're going to get into here with this discussion tonight is at some point in time, this planet is not going to exist. What do we do to get off of it? Um, between, we have a couple of different options between using our Newtonian physics, and we'll get into how that's probably not a feasible fashion or feasible method to use. And we'll get into the idea of interdimensional travel. You know, are we going to be able to figure out how to access wormholes, stargates, the Einstein-Rosen bridge? Uh, is that how ETs are currently coming to our planet? Is the, you know, uh, some of this strange phenomena that we see and experience, some of these entities that we witness we've talked with uh, you know shadow people being uh interdimensional beings you know are those entities from a, another planet another galaxy another solar system that are accessing you know our planet now are they you know maybe they're seeking refuge maybe something's happening with their planet that they are needing to do the same thing and search out you know new life somewhere a new planet to be able to inhabit and they're coming here looking watching and observing are we going to end up having to do the same thing? And then the, there's the question, are those entities that are doing that, are they ourselves? Are they another version of us? You know, perhaps, you know, our clan and their clan split long ago. You know, one was going to try this planet, another was going to try that planet and make of it what you will and have a go at it. And then we ended up encountering each other again millions perhaps billions of years later so it's almost kind of like the idea of uh you know of battlestar galactica when they uh when they parted ways uh from their original home planet and they ended up inhabiting all these all these other planets and there was the 13th colony earth that they were trying to find when you know the silence started attacking them and booted their them out of their home so all these different things are on the table so, um, some interesting information. It's come to light here. Uh, just recently, I saw this article uh, earlier, I think it was earlier today, uh, by the International Union for uh, Conservation of Nature. There's just released a report stating that approximately uh, 500 land animal species are nearing extinction and could be lost within the next 20 years. So, it's an upcoming mass extinction event. Uh, this would actually be the sixth such event. And uh, just keep in mind, though, that mass extinction events, when we talk about like a short period of time on Earth, we're talking like millions of years. Uh, so this would kind of like far exceed that. And uh, also keep in mind that there are uh, more animals that have gone uh, extinct over the millions of years than currently exist and new ones can certainly emerge too like in alaska a few years ago there was a uh what was it a duck-billed whale or something strange like that uh if i remember correctly that surfaced onto the land and it was a species we had never known about before there are plenty still out there that we have yet to discover and could actually form up but um you know food for thought here that you know our planet goes in cycles through different species that rise and fall, go extinct. The same thing is going to happen to us again with, with the red giant. Now they say with that, you know, where we are now, uh, we're kind of like around halfway through our planet's lifespan. Uh, you know, four and a half billion years old. We've got about three to four billion years left here. I know it seems like a long time, uh, of course, but like for the last billion years, or so, you're, you're not going to want to be on this planet anyways, because the, the sun will have started to expand by then. It would get really, really hot here. <laughs> Oceans would start to dry up, uh, that sort of thing. So we're going to 
to want to get off. Now, looking at different ways that we could possibly go here, um, you know, we need to find a way to connect to other parts of the universe, whether that's another solar system within our galaxy or another galaxy within our universe. And we're taking a look at all of those different exoplanets now. And many of you are familiar with this image. I use this image for a lot of my artwork right now, um, you know, with the websites and everything. And this is from the, the Chandra X-ray telescope. It is an X-ray of our universe. Uh, it's, it's an amazing image because you can see here all these bright yellow dots on here are galaxies and these strands that are connecting them all together and that's interstellar gas essentially is what it is and it's connecting all of them together so you can see how all these galaxies within our universe are actually connected together it looks like a giant spider web um, and then whatever color filters that they used on it, it just looks absolutely amazing. Now, back during the summer, when we were still doing Beyond the Shadows, and then it turned into this Connecting the Universe, um, we did a, uh, a presentation, a class on our place in the universe. In fact, it's a blog article that's on the ConnectedUniversePortal.com. So for those who haven't read it yet, those that are listening to the podcast later, you can go to ConnectedUniversePortal.com, click into the blog, and you can find our place in the universe. And I talk about this image here. We are part of what is known as the Laniakea Supercluster, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. It was uh, a name that was devised by the uh, University of Hawaii. They're the ones that did these studies. And I, I love how it looks. The supercluster looks like a heart. Uh, and you see all these amazing filaments throughout this. Again, seeing how all these, you're looking at galaxies again. These are all galaxies that are connected. The, the you are here arrow in the dot, that's the Milky Way galaxy. So it, it, this is massive. This is immense. Um, now each of these galaxies here that are represented uh, contain on average about 3 billion stars. In our own galaxy, we estimate 100 to 4 billion stars, which is kind of how much we're still not sure of what all is in our galaxy. Uh, and this image here is, uh, is is the raw data. These are you know, all the points of these different uh, galaxies. We can still see all of the basically filaments connecting all these galaxies together into, into this supercluster. So... Uh, there's still so much more that we are learning and discovering, but we are seeing how it is all connected together. And I want to get to uh, some of your comments here that you have. Um, so I'm thinking this might, a couple of you are coming in here as Facebook user. So those listening later on, uh, we do this in a secret Facebook group. <laughs> uh, so there's some instructions there in the uh, in the post that I put in the group. Uh, kind of automatically does that from StreamYard, which is where we broadcast from, in, in order to, there, there's some settings you have to click and, and confirm to connect the StreamYard here so I can actually see. Because right now it's coming up as, uh, as Facebook user. Uh, so question. Would the transition beyond death be considered interdimensional travel? Uh, I would consider that to be yes, because you're you're accessing another plane of existence. We don't quite understand what that is, but um, I mean, this is and really this is going to get into belief systems and spirituality and all that. Uh, I believe in reincarnation, so we go on to some kind of quote unquote home world is what is what I call it. Uh, we hang out there for a while, visit with loved ones, um, and eventually we end up coming back here, uh, perhaps to learn another lesson. Maybe we want to go on another adventure. And, and I say here, but I also believe it could be anywhere within the universe. I do believe that we can actually reincarnate as an extraterrestrial. Um, keep in mind that to the extraterrestrials, we are extraterrestrials. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we tend to use that term for any 
being that is not from Earth, but we are extraterrestrials as well to them. Um, so in any case, what what that is or where that is, it's it's outside of our current physical plane of existence and elsewhere within the ether. What exactly that is, I'm not sure. And none of us are. We, we kind of speculate and have ideas and, and different beliefs as to, to what that is. Uh, but let me say this. So sometimes we, okay, we interact with a ghost or a spirit, uh, you know, somebody that's kind of still lingering around here, or uh, we may even have like a, a loved one who comes back from the other side and wants to deliver us some sort of, of message. Uh, all that interacting with a different plane of existence is, is sort of a type of form of interdimensional travel. But when I talk about I guess I, maybe I need to start defining these things a little bit better because when I talk about a kind of quote-unquote interdimensional being, I'm not necessarily talking about um, a, a ghost or a spirit in the classical sense, which would be somebody who's still lingering around here. I mean, it's it's another plane of existence, but when I'm talking about um, another dimension, like it's almost, um, you know, somebody that could be... Uh, accessing this plane of existence from whether it's like another point in time or if they're outside the realm of time that they're they're coming here um interstellar does a i mentioned interstellar earlier they do an interesting job of um the beings that are helping them out are interacting through another dimension their fifth dimension and then Matthew McConaughey's character Cooper is, is saying, well, yeah, but they're ourselves. So those interdimensional beings could still be ourselves, but existing on a higher plane. So there's a lot of intermingling here of different ideas. So, um, all right. And there's, yeah, Sean, that was probably you. <laughs> there you are now. Great. All right. Um, so I'll get some more of these uh, questions as as we go along. Um all right. So, and uh, to see an article a few days ago on the dark matter framework from Big Think, I did not see that Big Think article, so I'll have to check that out. So, um, and yeah, I like this comment. Our current culture could be some, could become someone else's Atlantis. Yeah, and that's interesting. Uh, we get into that in some of our other topics. Uh, and we'll uh, others down there in the in the chat will let you know that uh, I do cover Atlantis quite a bit when I start talking about. Uh, stargates, lost civilizations. Um, you know, there's even, I believe, connections from uh, uh, the Alaska Triangle to Atlantis, Antarctica to Atlantis. Um, ah, or maybe it was Sarah. Okay, Sarah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and Nicole was having an issue with that earlier. So something, something funny's happened on the uh on the technical side of that in victoria I tell you it's it's mercury retrograde so um and nicole has a very cool mercury retrograde shirt that she's just put out so be on the lookout for that too so all right let's continue on all right where were we so okay so traveling between these different uh between these different clusters getting from here to elsewhere the quickest way would be, of course, boom, through a wormhole. You know, Einstein, Rosenbridge. We'll cover a little bit more of this uh, later on as we go. Problem is, we don't really have a way to access that now that we know of. Um, I believe the ancients had the technology to be able to do this, and we kind of lost that technology over time. Uh, you know, I, I've thrown the question out there before. Uh, was Atlantis a giant portal? Is that one of the you know, reasons of their downfall? Did they have that sort of access? Did they have Stargate technology that they were able to, you know, access other worlds and other dimensions? Um, and of course, I, with Egypt, we have the Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour coming up next February. Uh, and I've, you guys have seen a lot from me on the uh, on the Stargates of, of Egypt. Will be more of that will be coming up. Problem is, we don't have that technology in place yet, so we're having to start more Newtonian. So, you know, your, your basic phys physics that we know about, um, 
the physics that Isaac Newton developed that we're using now to, to go up into space, which is basically strapping an explosive to ourselves and shooting ourselves up into the stratosphere and beyond. So let's start there. Um, where do we go? How do we start getting out into the, uh, into the universe? And that is through our space program, uh, which, you know, we had NASA for many, many years and now starting to become privatized where you have these, uh, private companies that are doing this on their own, like, you know, SpaceX and, you know, uh, Blue Origin and all these different ones that are coming out now. And, there are people, of course, that will argue, hey, you know, why are we spending all this money and time and going into space while we have all these different things going on here on Earth, you know, where there's, um, you know, there's, there's poverty, we have a disease running around, um, you know, famine strikes up, natural disasters, all these different things. And just want to make clear by no means am I, am I saying disregard all those things and just concentrate on space. There's a delicate balance um, that, that we have to try to figure out. We do need to take care of ourselves here at home. Otherwise, you know, we're going to become extinct and it's not going to matter. But at the same time, we have to think of the future and moving forward and moving ahead. It's not going to happen in our lifetimes, but for our um, grandchildren or great-grandchildren, you know, maybe even, you know, further beyond, and we're talking billions of years anyways, we need to put the building blocks in place so they can go so that the species can survive later on. And it's going to have to off this planet as we've already discussed. So we're going out into space. You know, we've, we've had, you know, we've, we've gone to the moon. We've you know, been going around in orbit around the planet for a while now with the space shuttle, international space station, other things that we're starting to do. This is interesting here. Um, yeah, I find this, I find this fascinating. This is uh, orbital, uh, from the Orbital Assembly Corporation, the uh, this is the Voyager Space Station, which is actually a giant hotel, uh, which, which is amazing. So it's kind of like your first step off the planet. Uh, and this is your your space hotel, along with all kinds of other things that they, they have uh, within here. So um, I've actually invested in this thing. They have open investment right now, net capital. Uh, dot com and so uh, it's like 42 cents a share you can throw a few bucks at it and uh and help them out and then you know hopefully everything pans out but um you know this is fascinating that they are already putting together a space hotel uh, it has the really important thing about this uh space station is the gravity ring that they they are putting in place. So, you know, we've seen that in a lot of our science fiction movies where, you know, the idea of, okay, how do we create artificial gravity while we're out in space? And we've seen a lot of those rotating rings and they are actually developing that and going to put that into this space hotel just off of the planet. Um, they will be able to accommodate 400 guests once it's done. And this is supposed to start construction in 2025 so uh, it's only like three years away now with COVID and everything it's you know who knows uh, but they're looking to have that open for business by 2027 so we're talking five years away from there being a space hotel out there which is just to me absolutely fascinating now this corporation I covered a little bit about this in our place in the universe back in the summer um, and it's also again on that on that blog post connectinguniverseportal.com. Uh, some of the media that Orbital Assembly Corporation has put out uh, has this quote from Konstantin Solkovsky, which is the earth is the cradle of humanity, but mankind cannot stay in the cradle forever. Uh, so this is Solkovsky. Now who who is Solkovsky? I'm not gonna get too deep into him because uh, again, we've covered him before and you can kind of go back. Uh, but basically he was a early 20th century Russian scientist and cosmist. So he was a pioneer in rocketry and several of the equations that he developed, we're talking like late 1890s to early 1900s. And a lot of the equations that he developed back then for rocketry, they used to send you know, men to the moon with, uh, the, the, the Saturn, uh, rocket was, you know, 
still using those uh, equations. We're still using some of those equations today, which is absolutely amazing. So it's kind of interesting back then, um, 120 years ago, there was a bigger push for rocketry than the airplane. And if you look at you know, 40 years after that, when uh, you know Jack Parsons and his team and some others were trying to develop, were trying to develop rocketry and jet propulsion and all that, they were scoffed at because now the airplane was about, and they're like, yeah, propellers, all that, you know, rockets is just you know science fiction where you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, it was more feasible to be thinking about rocketry than airplanes because no the airplane hadn't been invented yet. Uh, so it, it's just interesting how in a short period of time, your feelings changed like that. So, uh, so Solkovsky would just touch on him again real quick. Uh, like I said, he was a, he was a cosmist. And so this is the idea, uh, Cosmism is the idea that we came from the stars and we need to return to the stars. And Salkowski believed that humans would eventually colonize the Milky Way. Uh, and so that's a lot about what we're talking about here, about having to colonize uh, the, the galaxy because we can't stay here. So he was already talking about this 120 years ago. And again, this could be an idea that's already fabric of of humanity because we've been there before you know if we come from some other planet the idea that we need to get off because we have to survive uh, we could have already done this before i see some other comments uh coming in here uh yeah kind of looks like ds ds9 flipped on its side that uh uh that ring yeah uh and then, Sean, I think it's going to be an extremely long time until we discover ways to relocate ourselves, getting ourselves to another planet like Mars, for example, is a ridiculously complex task, notwithstanding having to terraform. We're going to be talking about that in just a second, actually. We will be hitting Mars here in just a moment. Uh, so, and there's the, uh, looks like DS9 flipped on the side. And yeah, Victoria, that would be a heck of an Airbnb. Yeah, a, a space Airbnb. There we go. So, all right. So that's like step one off the planet. I know we've gone to the moon before. Um, and I know people debate that now and all that stuff. Um, but I believe we've been to the moon. We need to go back. That's kind of like step two is to get to the moon. And so this is a, you know, artist concept of a moon base out there. Uh, and we would use the moon. I mean, we could mine it and things like that. And there is some water up there, ice crystals uh, that are buried uh, within the surface. But we would really use it as a relay station to get to other parts of the solar system. So this is step two. This is only a couple days away. You know, like I said, we've been there before. Uh, we're, we're pretty familiar with with the with the layout of the moon with its surface with everything that's going on there um it's it's still a heck of a task uh because you're talking about a location with really no atmosphere uh you have to be very careful any any space travel you have to be very careful of of radiation and, and things like this and also you know long-term effects of uh of space travel on your body. It's one of the things that they do up there a lot in the International Space Station is they're, they're testing the effects of space on the human body uh, because you lose, you know, your muscle tissue breaks down, you lose bone density, all these different things. And uh, when those astronauts come back, a lot of times it takes them about a year to get back to where they were and some don't get all of their, their bone mass back. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's something that is a grave concern for extended space travel. And so, like we were talking about, Mars. Mars would be the next place from, uh, from the moon. So some believe in using the moon as a relay station to go to Mars. Uh, some have ideas of go straight from Earth to Mars. In either case, 
uh, you're, you're talking about a two-year interplanetary trip there and back again. Uh, it's um, and, and of course, at some point, we would need to eventually colonize there. And then, you know, did we originally come from Mars? And of course, that's that's up for debate as well. But uh, like Sean was was pointing out, there'd be a lot of things to have to to figure out uh, how to deal with in order to do this long extended travel. So I was kind of already talking about muscles, atrophying, loss of bone mass. Um, you know, there's the exposure to radiation, uh, cosmic. I mean, there are plenty of astronauts that have talked about cosmic rays causing light flashes uh, in their eyes. And these subatomic, these subatomic particles will actually ionize the fluid in the eyes and actually irradiate the eyes. So you, you get a cosmic ray that flashes you and it they say it's like beautiful, but it has adverse effects to their eyes. So you have to be very, very careful these different things. Um, you know, a lot of things have to be taken into account, you know, wearing your spacesuit. Uh, you know, there, there's a reason for all of that uh, in, in the different pressure that you have to worry about because um, you get in the wrong situation and your blood will boil and you're done. You know, it's, it, it's a scary proposition and having to take all of these different effects and precautions into consideration to travel there. And then of course, once you're on Mars, now you're in a, another new environment and, and more things to consider. So let's talk about, okay, colonizing Mars. Um, there's some challenges there as well. So uh, it has only 40% of Earth's gravity. So you'd have to exercise a lot to keep up on, again, different things like uh, your muscles, possibly atrophying, loss of bone mass, all those different things. Uh, severe dust storms. You know, we've, you know, we witness those all the time on Mars where dust storms will, will kick up and then all of a sudden uh, you can't even see down into the planet's surface because it's like one big dust cloud. Uh, they depicted that on the movie The Martian, uh, where that was what kept Matt Damon on the planet was that massive dust storm that kicked up. Temperature-wise, Mars is kind of a mess temperature-wise. It's all over the place. So it can, around the equator, uh, get up into the 70 degrees range. They, at one point, recorded an 86-degree day there on mars but then at night it plummets right back down into like negative 100 so you think about okay you know you're walking around mars hey it's a nice 70 degree day and that night it's negative 100 it just doesn't have the it doesn't have atmosphere uh or really anything to retain the heat on the surface you, you know even here on earth out in the desert uh, it gets very very cold at night. even though it's a 100 degree day out in the desert you know it gets very very cold there in the desert at night. That's because there's nothing there to retain the heat. And that's one of the issues there uh, with Mars as well. There's nothing there to retain the heat from the sun during the day. The average temperature though, and again, that's on a good day during the summer at the equator. The average temperature of Mars is negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit. Negative 81. That's an average day. <laughs> um, and it can get down as low uh, as 195, this particular slide here shows negative 284. Um, so yeah, it gets extremely, extremely cold there. Uh, you know, could we terraform it? We could. Uh, it would it would absolutely take some time to do. Uh, many, many resources. Could it ever be like Earth? No, because we're some of these other things that we're already uh, we've been talking about. Uh, but it you could get it to a point where it could sustain some life. I'm not going to get into all those details and we have about 20 minutes left in this class and other things to cover. Uh, so this is a depiction of Mars with water on it, which is kind of a silly depiction because if you had that type of water there on Mars, uh, you wouldn't still have the, the red surface so much. You would have some green uh, in there as well. But But Mars would be the first planet that we would venture off to. So, you know, we've been doing things in our orbit here on Earth. We've been going to the moon, 
not lately, but we're going to head back there. So we'll be doing more things on the moon and then on to Mars. So we have you know, the Mars rover and you know other satellites and things like that uh, that we're doing there on Mars right now. These are the first little steps to getting to go out there. And we're also taking steps to look at the bigger picture in other parts of the solar system. So you can see here as we're slowly kind of venturing out the old Newtonian uh, style, sticking a rocket to our backs and, and taking off. Um, so Victoria, if there's no atmosphere on the moon or in space, how is it that astronauts heard the moon ring? You would need an atmosphere as a medium in order for sound waves to travel and strike the ear canal in order to make the sound. So... It's not that there's zero atmosphere. There is a little bit of one. You have gravity, but it's very, very, very thin. Um, you know, it's 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 not enough for us to really do anything with there. Um, but as far as sound, you're, I mean, it's a wave that emanates forth. That emanates forth. So um, you don't really need an atmosphere for sound because when that sound hits a receiver then the receiver turns that into the sound it, it it turns the wave into what we hear so as far as the uh the moon ringing we had i mean the guys heard it and then we also had um the seismographs that picked up on that so, uh, and Sarah, Sarah Yusuf, we have a long history of colonization we can't seem to escape from. Well, yeah, but for the survival of our species, again, we, we have to colonize elsewhere. You know, otherwise at some point, you know, the, <laughs> the sun will encompass the earth and then we're gone. So we have to do it. And it's very possible we've been doing it as a... Uh, uh, as a species for a long, long time. Uh, Sarah's also asking, would underground living be feasible? Um, well, to a point. So underground living we've done before here on Earth. Um, I was talking about, I think I talked about it last week in some of the Alaska stuff uh, in which the, you know, 40, I, I did last week with Alaska, 40 to 42,000 years ago, uh, we had the polar flip where the North Pole became the South Pole and the South Pole became the North Pole. And during that time, our magnetic protection of the Earth reduced to about 6%. So there was massive climate change and all these different things going on. And a lot of uh, humans went underground into caves. That's why we started a lot of cave art around that time. And so, um, and, and so we see that there's different underground cities that have been uh, unearthed, which is, you know, some of those are absolutely magnificent. Uh, so we've done it before. Long term, uh, again, not, not really feasible because at some point the, the earth will be destroyed. So, um, all right. So Mars, now we're expanding outward because it, again, at some point, you know, the, the sun starts expanding. Um, it, it will get up to Earth. It may also take Mars um, or just before Mars, at least as far as, you know, the, the different simulated models uh, show. So Mars could also get taken out in this, in the sun becoming a red giant. And if it doesn't, the sun will be so close to Mars anyways that it's, it's going to fry uh, and will not be habitable. So looking beyond, we need to look into other parts of the solar system. And that becomes interesting in other parts of the solar system because as the sun expands, it becomes bigger. That means other parts of the solar system that were once extremely cold will start to heat up. Um, so this here is Europa. It's a moon of Jupiter. Uh, this I mean, you're looking at a giant ice ball is essentially what you're looking at. Um, it's believed that there's liquid water under the surface, under this ice, there's liquid water, perhaps. Uh, that is, you know, two to three times more water than is on Earth right now. So if that's true, 
if there's that much liquid water under that surface, that means we have a resource out there in the solar system to be able to utilize, uh, to have drinking water, to grow food, uh, to have the building blocks of life out there. And there's ideas that, hey, that liquid water could actually contain life out there on Europa. So in 2024, I got delayed by a couple of years. They were originally talking 2022. 2024, they were sending out the Europa Clipper satellite uh, to go ahead and, and examine this thing because, um, you know, as we venture off into space, we're going to need a, a source of water and Europa could certainly be that. It would not be a place that you would live, uh, but it would be a, a source for water. So, you know, you could have different stations on there to, of course, you know, mine the water and, and things like that. Um, so then there is Titan and people have wondered about, okay, is, is Titan a place that we could actually live within the solar system? Uh, this is a moon of Saturn, the second largest moon in the solar system. Um, and it's one of the few places in the solar system where we could actually take off our space suits and not be instantly crushed or have our, our, uh, blood boil because the pressure is only 45% greater than Earth's. Uh, you would still need to wear oxygen masks, uh, of course, because um, be, because the air is just not breathable. There's no oxygen there. Uh, but uh, as far as if you want to get out of your space suit uh, for a little while, you could do that there. Uh, but Again, it's an extremely cold place, and so you want to keep the the uh, spacesuit on because <laughs> it might get a little chilly. Negative uh, 180 degrees Celsius, so that's even colder than Fahrenheit, um, as it receives only about 0.1% of the sunlight on Earth. Uh, so that would make it a little bit difficult, but what's interesting about Titan, you know, although it has some atmosphere elements that you know, would be helpful to humans. Um, we still probably couldn't live there, but the, the moon is filled with oceans of methane. So methane gas, and because it's so cold there, it's a liquid, it's liquid methane. So you're talking about a fuel that we could use to, you know, uh, you know, supply spacecraft and uh maybe generators for uh, you know trying to keep warm which you would have to do there <laughs> you would have to be running generators to keep warm uh you would not have to worry about the surface igniting because there is no oxygen um you know to to ignite it and it's just extremely extremely cold uh so you know there's no way to ignite the surface of methane but this could be used as a you know possible refueling station for uh for spacecraft, you know, or again, to be able to, you know, harvest that, uh, that liquid methane and be able to, you know, generate heat and things like that. So, um, so this is another, uh, another place in our solar system that we use for resources. So there's also Ganymede. Now I, I throw this out there, uh, because it's the largest moon in the solar system. The, the television show The Expanse used Ganymede as a, uh, basically as like a planet for growing food or a moon for, for growing food. So it would take a lot, of course, to set all that up and, and build a, a colony there. Uh, you can see, though, it's it's kind of been hit with some, uh, with some meteorites. So that would be a, um, you know, something that you'd have to, be cautious about that. This is a location that takes some hits like that, but uh, it has a large surface. And, you know, could you, I mean, again, that's just science fiction, but could you set up some sort of installation there uh, to be able to, to grow food like they did in that show? They used a lot of science in that show, which I respected. Um, so you know, it, it's, a, it's a large surface that, and again, as the, uh, as the sun expands outward, other parts of the solar system are going to start to heat up a bit. So in the future, could Ganymede be a, a warmer place to be able to, to colonize as we have to expand further and further out? Now, this is, um, again, if, if we can't figure out how to 
travel to another uh, you know, more habitable, more hospitable you know, exoplanet, a planet that is out of our solar system through other means, you know, we first have to kind of look within our own solar system. Where could we possibly go? So the, this may be one of those spots like that. Um, but we do in, we do have to talk about, okay, sun's getting bigger. At some point, you know, the whole, whole solar system's gone and it starts all over again. Remember at the very beginning, we were talking about we came out of another solar system. We're going to go back into another one, um, you know, at some point. Uh, we will, this whole thing will be done and the cycle will start over um, until, and, and that cycle goes round and round and round until at some point the energy is exhausted and it's just gone. Topic for another time as we talk about the death of the universe and where we go from there. Uh, we're just talking about humans right now. So how do we do that? Well, in order for us to get from here to another solar system, um, and we're talking light years, and the human life just doesn't live long enough to be able to do that. So we can't put somebody in a spaceship and send them off and expect them to get there in time. Uh, human life expectancy is, is not that long. You know, you think about how long... I mean, the Voyager satellite, when did it leave the uh, the solar system? You know, what was that, 15 years ago or whatever, maybe 20 years ago? Um, you know, but it's, it's not anywhere close to our solar system. And they launched that like 40, 45 years ago. You know, it's been a while. You know, human life expectancy just doesn't last that long. So I've talked about things like, Okay, could we put together a kind of quote unquote 100 year ship where you have generations of people in there where they live, die, create new new people. Again, you have the long term ramifications of you know surviving in space that long. What happens to the human body when it's put in that situation for a long long period of time? I mean, if you're trying to breed children out there in space, what happens to the baby? Uh, you know, when they're born, if they've never experienced, you know, gravity of earth, what happens to the, what happens to the development of them? Um, so we're going to touch on a few things here and I'm already kind of running over. So solution for that, of course, the Einstein Rosen bridge, we'll come, we'll come back to that here in a little bit. Um, Jeez, in a minute. <laughs> but the question becomes, do we have to modify ourselves? Uh, you know, kind of create cyborg type uh, human beings, trans transhumanism evolving uh, beyond physical and mental limitations through science and technology uh, to be able to enhance the human body so that we can do things like, you know, travel through space uh, and, and, and travel into other uh you know, in, into other solar systems and galaxies and, and for long, long periods of time and be able to go through those rigors of space. Of course, there's a lot of ideas that uh, when we see like a, a, a gray ET, a gray extraterrestrial, that, um, you know, these are you know, some of our descendants that, you know, we came from a common ancestor and in their realm of the universe, this is what they evolved into because they're uh, you know, their body had to uh, become accustomed to the conditions of that environment where ours was able to develop a little bit differently here on Earth. That there's, you know, out there in the uh, in the cosmos had to evolve differently. You know, they, their bodies are more frail. Um, you know, I, I like this one here of the uh, of the ET drinking coffee. See, this would be me if uh, if you know, my body evolved <laughs> over time uh, out there in space. If this is what really happens, um, yeah, I would still be drinking that coffee. <laughs> um, but we want to, we don't want to have to go down that route of, of trying to figure out how to travel long, long distances over long, long periods of time. We, we want a shortcut. And so a wormhole is you know what we've been talking about for a long long time 
Um, and this depiction here does, I think, does a nice job. You, know, you, you see in some of our sci-fi movies where they talk about, well, you know, if you uh, they take a piece of paper and, you know, they put two points on it and they fold it over and they pop the uh, the pencil through it to, to show you how, you know, getting to two points on either side of the piece of paper to make that quicker, you fold it over. And this depiction here shows that fold, folding over space and time and then popping a hole through it to get from one point to the other. Um, the problem is, how do you fold over space and time? That's the part we don't know yet. And then you have to pop a hole, right? The, wor the wormhole. Uh, you know, how do we do that? We don't know yet. Did our ancients know how to do that? Because we see these different depictions of stargates and portals and things like this. Um, you know, we've we've been over a lot of that material here uh, in the connected universe, and of course, we're going to keep continuing to cover that material. Uh, and of course, next February with the stargates of of ancient Egypt, where we'll definitely be cover, covering it there. Um, but in our our modern society, we don't know how to do that yet. But did we once know how to do it? Uh, you know, as as a species, if we came from elsewhere, did our ancestors know how to do that? Do, you know, ETs and interdimensional beings know how to currently do that? Are they doing that now? Is that how they're traveling here? Because, uh, the, again, the idea of just, you know, flying saucer, UFO craft, traveling from the cosmos to here, boom, and, you know, they would have to be uh, either extremely old creatures on that or they were able to utilize that technology of coming through a wormhole and coming here. Of course, there's also the idea that um, they could be traveling through through time, and some of them could actually be ourselves from another point in time. Time travel is another discussion, although we have covered that before. So got a couple minutes here, and I see there's a bunch of comments down here in the chat. I'll try to get to a couple of these real quick. Um, and Sarah Yusuf, isn't the answer gravity? Utilizing some sort of anti-gravity, yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the things that they are trying to find down there in uh, in Antarctica. And not to get too deep into that, but if those ancient civilizations knew how to utilize anti-gravity, that's how they built some of those huge, massive megalithic structures, then our science and governments and everybody would be very interested in finding that technology that could be why the the nazis are down there back you know in the uh in the 30s and 40s that they were down there trying to find that ancient te technology to harness anti-gravity um so yes gravity is a, a big big issue um so uh victoria more like the grays are the future for hanging out in space and now walking around yeah oh, and that's that's kind of the idea is that that's the way their bodies evolved uh over time because they were out there in space and you know mu muscles atrophied and the bone mass got reduced and this is what you ended up with the uh the skull still ended up uh you know rather large because it's it's housing the you know, the the brain uh, but the rest of the body just kind of really shrunk down uh, because traveling through space, it just, it doesn't hold up. Um, I like this from Tom. By then, we will all be shadow people. <laughs> there we go. You're interdimensional shadow people. Exactly. So, all right. Well, I really appreciate everybody hanging out for this evening, talking about the future of humanity and where we go in all of this. Um, you know, we have to figure it out. Uh, again, you know, there's that balancing act of, you know, maintaining us here on earth while, you know, venturing out into the cosmos and, and trying to get that figured out. You have people like Jeff Bezos of Amazon that, uh, you know, his idea is that, you know, we live in space off earth and we, we come and visit earth as like a, uh, as a vacation spot and tour the planet. Um, but again, the, the effects of, living out in space that would have on our body is something we would have to figure out for that long-term travel and being able to uh, to colonize elsewhere. So it's going to take some time, not going to happen in our lifetime. It'll be interesting to see what does happen in our lifetime as we venture forth. And we do have to, uh, I believe, you know, keep pushing the following generations, keep doing it, keep exploring, keep going out there because at some point um, we're, we're not going to be able to, to maintain it here uh, on earth. It, it will eventually be gone. So 
All right, everybody. Um, for those listening later to the uh, podcast version, please, again, join us here, ConnectedUniversePortal.com for the Wednesday night live presentation of all this. You get to ask your questions right down there in the chat room. And you know, feel free to, I will answer them, of course, as you've witnessed. And, of course, you get the uh, the slideshow and everything as well. Sometimes we throw some video clips in there as well, and you get to watch those. So, all right, everybody. Have a great evening, and we will see you next time, if time really exists.